trying to find common ground, but that won't involve any sweeping reforms. You're listening to the news on RTHK. With music, news and information, this is Radio 3. Morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Thursday the 9th of June. Welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business and finance headlines. The OECD said yesterday that the world economy will pay a hefty price for the war in Ukraine, including weaker growth, stronger inflation and potentially long-lasting damage to supply chains. It said governments must take steps to avert a global food crisis as the Russian invasion drives up cereal prices. The organisation slashed its outlook for global growth this year to 3% from the 4.5% it forecast in December and the inflation outlook was doubled to almost 9% for its 38 member states. Yesterday, the Reserve Bank of India became the latest central bank to raise interest rates by 50 basis points, and it also said it would remove its COVID-19 era stimulus measures. The Indian Central Bank's Monetary Policy Committee voted unanimously to raise the repurchase rates for the second straight month from 4.4% to 4.9% to tame steep inflation. The RBI also raised its inflation forecast for the year ending March to 6.7% from its previous 5.7% estimate. Ahead of the release of the latest trade data from China later today, Vice Commerce Minister Wang Xiuwen said yesterday that China will make port operations more efficient and hold more online trade fairs, among new measures to ease pressure on foreign trade. Mr Wang said at a press conference in Beijing that logistics efficiency has dropped, supply chains are not running smoothly and soaring raw material prices have put firms involved with international trade under pressure. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by personal wealth advisor Enzio von Fahl and Louisa Fock at the Bank of Singapore. Speaking about algorithmic trading, are Tony Lam and Rex Tang from the Algo Challenge Association. On Wall Street, US stocks were weak ahead of crucial inflation data on Friday, with investors closely watching rising Treasury bond yields. The S&P 500 slid 1.1% to finish at 4,115. The Dow shed 269 points, or 0.8%, to close at 32,911. The Nasdaq Composite dropped 0.7% to 12,086. In Europe, the region-wide Stock 600 index was down 0.6%. The UK's FTSE 100 closed 0.1% lower. Chinese stocks traded higher on Wednesday, with tech stocks leading the way after the mainland on Tuesday approved more online gaming titles, although industry giants Tencent and NetEase were excluded in the latest round of approvals. The National Press and Publication Administration, the Licensing Authority, approved 60 titles for release in June, and the move suggests an easing of the crackdown on the 49 billion US dollar domestic gaming industry. The Hang Seng Index jumped 483 points, or 2.2%, back to a two-month high of 22,015. The Tech Index surged 4.8% to the highest level since March the 4th. 
Tencent rose 6.5%, and NetEase by 5.7%, even though they were absent from the approval list. Alibaba surged by over 10%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index climbed 0.7% to 3,264. In the commodities markets, oil prices surged after the UAE warned that the OPEC Plus group of oil-producing nations had limited ability to increase production further, and it said that prices are nowhere near their peak. Brent crude rose 2.4% to $123.81 a barrel. Gold is unchanged at $1,854 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield jumped back above 3%, rising 5 basis points to 3.03%. And the US dollar index added 0.2%, aided by the Japanese yen, which fell to a new 20-year low against the dollar, after the governor of the Bank of Japan said that consumers had become more tolerant of price rises, comments that he later retracted. The yen is down 1.4% against the US currency, taking it past 134 yen per dollar to 134.5. It's declined roughly 4% this month. The euro this morning is trading at $1.07. One British pound buys $1.25 and a third cents and nine Hong Kong dollars and 84 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.7 in offshore markets. And Bitcoin slid over 3%, but just managed to hold on to the $30,000 mark. It's trading at $30,200 this morning. And let's take a look around Asia-Pacific stock markets as they open up for today. The SX200 in Australia is up half a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is flat minutes after the open. Uh, the Kospi in South Korea down about half a percent. And futures markets indicating that the Hang Seng is going to add about 85 points this morning. Times 809. Time to welcome our regular Thursday guest, personal wealth advisor, Enzio von Farr. Morning, Enzio. Good morning, Peter. And joining him this morning is Louisa Fock, China Equity Strategist at the Bank of Singapore. Morning to you, Louisa. Morning, Peter. Uh, as we heard earlier, central banks are raising rates rapidly in the most widespread tightening of monetary policy for more than two decades. Over the three months to the end of May, monetary authorities have announced more than 60 rate rises, and at least 50 of them were by 50 basis points. They were joined, as you heard yesterday, by the Reserve Bank of India, which raised rates by 50 basis points, as did the Reserve Bank of Australia earlier on this week. Um, Enzio, um, these small increases that we started to see at the beginning of the year are starting to get bigger, aren't they? But are they having an effect? I don't think so. It's intellectual herd immunity time again. If, if I'm doing it, then everybody else had better do it too. Or if everybody else is doing it, I'd better do it too. There are really two things driving this um, upward trajectory. One is the catch-up of the central banks saying, well, we'd better also raise rates. If the U.S. is doing that, we'd better do it. But behind that is also very much a foreign exchange reason, which is that if only America raises its rates, then the other currencies will weaken and that means that they will encounter imported inflation. Now, given that the central banks worldwide want to fight inflation, they don't want imported inflation, so they will have to also increase their 
their interest rates in order to, to, to protect the exchange rates. It's kind of a roundabout way of saying they don't want imported inflation through weaker exchange rates. It's not really working out that way, though, is it? Because even in the U.S., where they have got a stronger dollar, uh, inflation is at, what, a 40-year high. Aha, well spotted, good man. That's because, there, as Janet Yellen pointed out, there are many, many structural reasons for this inflation. In fact, the consumer demand seems to be ebbing. If you take a look at Target, which has recently said that it has to actually, it's, it's just not getting rid of the inventory anymore because the consumer is balking at the high prices. So you are already beginning to see inflation beginning to bite and to reduce demand. Mm. Um, Louisa, what, what do you think? It's, it's starting to affect consumer sentiment, isn't it? Because they're seeing prices go up more and more and they're starting to uh, pull in the horns. Um, I think what we have been talking about is this time round inflation is likely to be a little bit more stickier, not just from the demand side that we talk about, but I think uh, a lot of the reasons are coming from the supply side. For instance, rising of the commodities prices, not just for food prices, but uh, industrial and consumer commodities uh, that we are talking about. So the input cost definitely is harder to control. Secondly, is the supply chain uh, constraint that we've also discussed about. So simply by increasing interest rate, uh, it doesn't really totally addressing uh, the surging commodity prices and the supply mm -hmm. chain disruption. Uh, the, the positive thing is uh, we, with China start reopening, we started to see some of the um, uh, production and also logistic activities ramping up as well. Is there any way that's safe from this? Is there any place you can go that you're not going to see rising inflation and central banks raising rates? Um, I think judging from global economies, Japan is probably one of the most obvious one. Um, I think the BOJ is still after um, the, the fact that to try to push up inflation yeah, and try to push the economies. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well put, yeah, yeah. Um, but they're sacrificing the yen in the process, aren't they? Yes, well, that's why they also they, they and that's that's the only economy that's the only central bank that is not going with the herd um, because they want that weaker yen to drive up imported inflation. Of course, inflation or, or deflation has been Japan's problem ever since I moved to Asia back in November of '89. So there's mm. nothing new there. So you agree with Janet Yellen that the world has got to do other steps rather totally. than just inflation, totally. uh, in interest rate rises. It's got to address other supply side, make some structural changes like to education, to uh, maybe having greener energy. But these things are going to take a long time, aren't they? Yes, that's why, I mean, a new area of research would actually be supply side, cyclical supply side policies. Mm. Um, I think that's like tax decreases and this kind of stuff would help, but that would then, of course, only foment the, the demand side of the equation. It's all a bit of a, of a, of a pig's breakfast, to be quite, quite frank with you. But again, also, let's not lose sight of the fact that a lot of this came because of the global financial crisis 2007-8, when a lot of companies stopped investing in mm. things like mines and oil fields, etc. So that's a lot of this goes way back, has long teeth, as you were saying. Isn't that really the core of the problem? We've got to go back to the financial crisis when it was really the first time that central banks slashed interest rates to zero. Um, so there was all this malinvestment going on because you could get money for free. Are we now paying the price of that? Well, yeah, just when, as my dear mother-in-law always taught us, when the interest rates are low, the wrong people get rich, and we're seeing that again. Mm. Well, what do you make of all these gloomy 
global growth prospects that we're seeing at the moment. The OECD said yesterday the world economy is going to pay a hefty price for the war in Ukraine in terms of weaker growth, stronger inflation and long-lasting damage to supply chains. It's cut its global growth forecast to 3%. The World Bank has cut theirs to 2.9%. Are you as gloomy as they are? Um, I think overall global growth is going to slow down. I think it's probably much more consensus view. I think what um, uh, the the more interesting or, or what the a path that uh, a lot of investors and economists are, are watching for is whether we we are engineering into more the so-called soft landing, or um, as as some some other um, uh, economists were, were highlighting the potential risk of a stagflation or even a recession. And I think um, the central bank monetary policy um, in the next few months will be the key uh, for many of the investors to watch out for. Lawrence Summers has a very good rule of thumb that whenever unemployment is under 4% and inflation is above 4%, America has a recession about two years later. That's his mm. empirical research. That's, that's a good little takeaway, I think. Just 4 and 4 equals disaster. And what about in China? The, uh, the uh, World Bank in its Global Economic Prospects report projected growth in China to slow to 4.3% this year, which is a 0.8 percentage point drop from its December uh, forecast. Uh, Louisa, do you think they're right? Um, we do think that China growth will slow um, because of the uh, dynamic zero uh, COVID policy. As we can see that uh, many of the activities have been affected. With Shanghai reopening and Beijing reopening, it's positive that some of the activities start resume. Having said that, um, China is a big country. Uh, there's still probably around 10 cities or provinces that they are either under partial or full lockdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they may not be as um, important from a production supply chain perspective when compared to Shanghai. But nevertheless, I think the key is uh, what in contrast to many of the countries that we've just talked about, China is uh, taking a small steps in terms of uh, policy support, in terms of of reopening in terms of kicking start the supply side activities. But it's talking about things like infrastructure, with, uh, which doesn't really help things like consumer confidence that much, which is the real problem, isn't it? Mm, I think the, uh, this time round, a lot of the supportive measures are, are very physical in nature. For instance, if we look at Shenzhen and Shanghai reopening uh, as an example, uh, there are actually consumer vouchers that's being handed uh, mm. through like electronic consumer vouchers and all the other things. And I think most latest high profile will be the passenger vehicle tax cut uh, that's amounted to 60 billion. So things like this are happening, but um, it will physical measures. Uh, dif- the difference between monetary one is it will take a little bit more time to work through the system. Just as a little addendum, remember we've got the midterms in the U.S., I think also mm-hmm. around November, and then we've got the National Party Congress in China also around November. And what about uh, Janet Yellen's talking about maybe, she says, reconfiguring tariffs imposed uh, by Trump on Chinese goods. I presume she means removing them. Is that going to help? Well, a little bit, yes. But I mean, it, it takes an awful long time for these tariffs to be um, to, to be reduced, but I don't think that's going to really sort of help at the end of the day, um, because again, these structural factors are so strong 
excluding tariffs. I mean, tariffs would be a little bit of a drop on a hot stone, but I don't really think that that would cut inflation a lot. Mm. Let me ask you, Louisa, about the markets. Um, Out here, Chinese stocks um, have have rebounded, really, haven't they, since the middle of the May? And we've seen, um, in particular, uh, foreign investment uh, come back. Overseas traders have been net buyers now through Stock Connect for the eighth uh, consecutive day. They've added about $7.5 billion. Are you seeing signs that the market has bottomed, or is this a bull trap? Mm. Um, we we do think that there will be a rebound, given many of the technical indicators highlighting is an oversold situation. And I think more importantly, we've started to see the policymaker are making uh, positive signals, i.e., actionable items. For instance, um, I think one of the most heated sector was the internet and platform play. I think since April, um, many of the senior officials has come up to talk about support. And finally, uh, we. We've got two batches of the online games approval mm. um, over the past uh, one to two months. Uh, and this time round is uh, 60 games, which is slightly larger than the previous round. And I think in addition, um, there have been reports talking about the CAC is uh, close to the stage of wrapping up some of the investigation. Things like this uh, will definitely uh, provide positive signals to this uh, you know, highly uh, trashed sector. Yeah. So are you taking it really that the regulatory crackdown on the internet, tech sector, gaming sector has come to an end? Because we've had a few false alarms in the past, haven't we, where it looks like it was only to find new regulations being issued. Um, We do think that the high level one in terms of the policy direction one is more or less done. Uh, What we have been going through in the past six months is more implementation stage. Um, Right now, what we or what I would hope to see is more uh, evidence like what I talk about. I think another one that investors would welcome is um, China, the policymaker has always supported and mentioned that they support data-sensitive companies to list mm. offshore, for instance, in Hong Kong. Uh, if, if such an IPO or a listing happened, that's definitely welcome. But I would say that uh, one of the uh, potential overhang is the US-China audit dispute is still in progress. So yes, uh, there's a positive signal, but I think uh, the market will remain volatile in the near term, uh, especially the ADLs are traded in the offshore market, and they are also at the same time sensitive uh, to, like, for instance, like um, the, the NASDAQ uh, trading patterns and also the U.S. Uh, monetary policy that we talked about. And it's a crucial day on Friday, isn't it? U.S. inflation data comes out. Do you think we're going to see signs that maybe inflation is moderating and has hit a peak? At the margin, yes. But again, I think that the structural forces are so strong that you won't find a lot of – you won't find a huge – deceleration, you will because the consumer is beginning to balk. The consumer is saying, I'm not paying the prices at Walmart, Target. That's why those profits have gone down so much. And I think mm. that Target share price curiosity was at, it was at its 1987 low recently. I don't normally cover stocks, you know that, but I just find that rather interesting. Okay, well, thank you both. That's Personal Wealth Advisor, NGF Von Fahl, Louisa Fock, who's China Equity Strategist at the Bank of Singapore. <laughs> You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. It's 8.22. I'm joined now in the studio by Rex Tang and Tony Lam, who are co-founders of the Algo Challenge Association. Good morning to you both. 
Morning. Good morning. Um, tell me, first of all, a little bit about algorithmic trading. It's something a, a lot of listeners keep writing in and asking about. They hear this term mentioned a lot. What is it? Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, algorithm is a sequence of uh, written programs designed to solve a problem. And uh, for algorithm trading, it's a computer-automated trading process that executes orders on exchange using the programs. And the programs uh, are the rules and artificial intelligence written by the software developers to account for server variables such as quantity, price, and timing. Uh, by doing algo trading, uh, actually, uh, you can get rid of uh, human emotion. Okay, so there's no humans behind this other than those who write these programs. Yeah. These algorithms kick in automatically. Are they accounting for a large part of the volume these days on markets? Uh, actually, uh, the algo trading accounts majority of trades. The majority, uh, yes. so more than humans now. Yes, more than human. Uh, according to the US uh, SEC report, uh, algo trading contributes roughly 70 to 80% of equity trading in US. And uh, we believe that uh, the algo trading uh, will become more famous in the future. As of uh, 2020, uh, algo trading market was valued at around 12 billion US dollar. And moving forward, it's expected to grow with uh, 11% uh, by 2028. Uh, to reach uh, US dollar around uh, 30 billion US dollar. Uh, actually, now uh, the largest market is North America, and the uh, Asian market is the fat fastest growing market. What about here in Hong Kong? Is it having an impact here in the Hong Kong markets? Yes, it is growing actually. Okay, so we often see, particularly in the US, we see sometimes some big moves at certain periods of the day, like the open, like the close. Is that the algorithms taking over and, and kicking in normally? Yes, actually, especially when the momentum is large and then uh, during some uh, 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 crisis, actually the algo trading kick in and then uh, it, it, it exaggerates the volatility sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Well, quite a lot of people, because we get emails all the time asking about algorithmic trading. Um, and they want to learn more about it or they want to join in and maybe make, write some programs themselves. What advice would you give them? Yeah, I think the best way is to uh, get your hands dirty and try to actually do it, actually, I mean program it. Mm -hmm. uh, at ACA, we organize contests that allow participants to code the algo training programs and then bad test them with our platform. We have successfully held three contests before, but things will be different this time because uh, it's the first time we allow crypto to be traded in the contest. So these, tell me a bit more about these contests. So you hold contests. For, for who are these contests? Who, who can join in these contests? Um, we organized the contest uh, in the coming July where participants can design and actually code their uh, trading robot. Um, the algo will complete again once another to generate the highest return and lowest risk. Mm -hmm. And we provide the uh, state-of-art backtesting platform with historical crypto data, data from Binance. For more sophisticated traders, we also provide news data and also economic data on the platform. Okay. Um, and who joins in with it? Is it students mainly who are who are joining in with these contests? Uh, is is that the normal sort of person that that's attracted to them? Um, actually, this uh, this contest is open to public, and and we we are uh, welcome um, any kinds of uh, people uh, joining in. Um, actually, in in this contest, we offer a lot of support um, and for for this uh, contest to uh, develop their own trading robot, mm. and we also use a. Uh, blockchain technology to verify and audit the transaction record of um, Algo. And this competition is uh, currently supported by Invest Hong Kong and CFA and also sponsored by uh, Microsoft. Mm. And what's the aim of these contests then? What, what do you hope to achieve from them?
Uh, actually, uh, we have three missions of our Chinese association. Uh, the first one is to identify the fintech talents through the contest. And then the second one is uh, uh, for our missions is to provide education to the contestants. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is we want to uh, make a platform uh, to bridge between uh, financial industry and uh, contestants. So are you looking for future traders here as well? And are there yeah. opportunities maybe for people to get internships or future employment in the finance industry from this? Yes, exactly. Actually, uh, uh, our sponsors and supporting organizations will provide internship to our winning teams. And then what about past challenges? What What's happened from them? Have people gone on to become traders at investment banks or elsewhere? What, what, how, how have the past contests gone? Yes, uh, our past contest was in April. The name uh, of the team is called Prudus. Actually, uh, through our platform ACA, mm. uh, he he's now partnering with a licensed firm called uh, Topaz Capital Management Limited. Actually, they formed a legitimate robo advisor. Okay, so let's let's go into a bit more about how this contest works. The next one is to do with crypto trading. So you're inviting people to write an algorithm to trade cryptocurrencies like uh, Bitcoin and Ether and so on. Is that right? Yes. 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 Um, actually, we we have collected um, the crypto tech uh, tech level data from Binance, and we will uh, provide this uh, the, the full tech history for for uh, contester to develop their own trading algorithm. And then what what happens? They they submit to you their algorithm or the details of the algorithm first of all. What what's the next stage in the process? Um, actually, um, for this contest, you will be uh, th there will be three uh, rounds. The first one is an idea round. Uh, uh, the contestor will submit a trading proposal, mm -hmm. and the second one is a cooking round where uh, they will actually cook their trading algorithm on our uh, testing platform and to uh, evaluate their their trading algorithm. And the okay. final stage, we will have full uh, two month live paper trading uh, period where we they will compete uh, again. Uh, uh, their, their trading algorithm using a live data. Okay, so you will, you will pick from that second stage the best algorithms and then they will have to trade in real time yeah. uh, to see do these algorithms really work? Can they outperform the market? Can they predict maybe market movements? Is, is that exactly. the idea? Exactly. Okay, and then the winner is what? The one who has the best performance over the two-month period? Um, there are three award categories, uh, the best return, best drop, and best strategy design. We will conduct the um, live uh, paper trading uh, for all algo using unseen data set. So um, we, we don't uh, encourage uh, the team to do some curve fitting. Mm -hmm. um, we understand that um, a few months of live uh, trading may not prove on disprove the uh, the quality of our algorithm. Therefore, we have the best strategy design award to mm -hmm. award those uh, who have creative and promising idea but lost the uh, loss in other award category due to poor luck. And what's the reward if you win? Um, that, that, that will be free award, uh, the, the best return, best drop, and best strategy design. But is there like a cash prize or anything if you if you win or? Uh, yeah, uh, there are quite a number of um, uh, rewards. The first one is a cash prize, and we mm. also provide uh, uh, some certificate, and uh, we will oh, also okay. encrypt their uh, trading algorithm into NF NFT. Okay, so tell us very quickly, because we're running out of time, how do you register? If you're interested in joining up in this challenge, what do you need to do? Um, a participant can register on our official website by 17th of July. Our official website is algochallenge.org slash crypto2022. Um, the competition is open to public and free of charge. 
Okay, yeah. great. Well, good luck with that. It'll be interesting to see if you find the next generation of, uh, of algorithmic traders from that. Thank you very much indeed uh, for telling us all about that. That's Rex Tang and Tony Lam, who are co-founders of the Algo Challenge Association. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets, which no doubt are being driven right now by our algorithms. In the, the SX200 in Australia is currently down about three quarters of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is up about a quarter of a percent. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea going in the other direction. That's down a half a percent, but it looks like the Hang Seng is going to open up about 80 points later on this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for more Money Talk. Coming up after the news is uh, back chats and COVID updates with Janice Wong and James Ockenden this morning. The weather forecast for today, cloudy with occasional showers. Those showers are going to be heavy at times, squally thunderstorms. Maximum temperature is going to be around 29 degrees. The outlook is for heavy showers and squally thunderstorms in the next couple of days as well. Uh, the temperature right now is 27 degrees, 88% relative humidity. Just gone 8.31, here's Andy Shrosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. The United Nations Secretary General has warned that the war in Ukraine threatens to unleash an unprecedented wave of hunger and destitution around the world. Antonio Guterres was speaking at the release of the UN's second report into fallout from the conflict. He said Russia's offensive had to end. Today's report makes clear that the war's impact on food security, energy and finance is systemic, severe and speeding up. It is amplifying the consequences of the many other crises the world faces, climate, COVID-19, and the severe global inequalities in the resources available for the recovery from the pandemic. An 11-year-old girl who survived a school shooting in the U.S. state of Texas last month has given details of what happened when the gunman entered her classroom. In a recorded message, Mia Cerillo described covering herself in her murdered friend's blood and pretending to be dead. She was giving evidence to a congressional hearing. A bipartisan group of senators is trying to find common ground on solutions to America's rising gun violence. Zaneta Everhart, the mother of a victim from the recent Buffalo shootings, also spoke at the hearing. To the lawmakers who feel that we do not need stricter gun laws, let me paint a picture for you. My son, Zaire, has a hole in the right side of his neck, two on his back, and another on his left leg caused by an exploding bullet from an AR-15. Now I want you to picture that exact scenario for one of your children. The World Health Organization has warned that there's a risk of monkeypox becoming established in countries where it's normally not found. But the WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus said this was still preventable. More than 1,000 confirmed cases of monkeypox have now been reported to WHO from 29 countries that are not endemic for the disease. So far, no deaths have been reported in these countries. Dr. Tedros said it was an unfortunate reflection of the world we live in, that people were only paying attention to the disease now that high-income countries were being affected. One person has been killed and more than 12 injured, some of them seriously, when a car hit a crowd of people in central Berlin. Police have detained the driver. The actor, John Berriman, was nearby. There were multiple bodies on the ground there, some people getting up and limping away. It was like a two-city block, and you could see where the car had come onto the pavement, 
barreled through people, then gone onto the street where it hit the person on the road and, and then barreled back onto the pavement and then went into the storefront after going through the cafe area. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to COVID Update with me, Janice Wong and James Ockenden. On today's program, we'll be speaking to epidemiologist Benjamin Cowling from the University of Hong Kong to see what he makes of the latest COVID situation here. But before we welcome him to the program, here's Yuki Zhang with a summary of the latest developments. Yuki. Thanks, Janice. Hong Kong yesterday reported 558 new COVID